The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Hello and welcome to Sportbox. Here are your headlines today. Netflix nosedives, wiping more than $50 billion off the streamer's market cap and taking a $400 million chunk out of Bill Ackman's Pershing Square on the way down. Tesla beats the street, reporting record first quarter profit and margins despite the shutdown of its Shanghai Gigafactory. CEO Elon Musk says the EV maker hopes to avoid more price hikes. The current pricing is anticipating uh, what we think is the probable growth in, in costs. Um, and if, if, those growth, if, if that growth in cost does not materialize, we actually may slightly reduce uh, prices. Good morning, everybody. French President Emmanuel Macron and far-right rival Marine Le Pen clash in their first and only televised debate before Sunday's vote with inflation reform and Russia dominating proceedings. I say this with great gravity tonight, because for our country this is bad news, because you depend on Russian power, and you depend on Mr. Putin. He knows full well I'm an absolutely, totally free woman. You received Putin with great fanfare at Versailles. In 2017, he welcomed Putin at Bregançon, your holiday resort. And Russia flexes its military might, testing a nuclear-capable intercontinental missile in a move President Putin says will give the United States and its allies something to think about. Big story of the day again. Netflix says shares plunged more than 35% on Wednesday, their biggest one-day loss since 2004 when Netflix was still a DVD mail-order company. Now this tallies up to a loss of more than 60% year-to-date. All this after the streaming giant reported its first subscriber loss in a decade and said it expects to share to further 2 million subscribers in the coming quarter. And Netflix's market capitalization sits below $100 billion for the first time in over four years. Wednesday's drop wiped out some $50 billion in market cap with around $100 billion in value lost on just the last two earnings reports alone. Billionaire investor Bill Ackman has sold his $1.1 billion stake in Netflix after just three months, racking up a $400 million loss. In a letter to investors, Ackman wrote that he had, quote, lost confidence in his ability to forecast Netflix's future prospect and would not sit and wait for the streaming giant to improve its business model. Which is fairly telling, isn't it, when you've had a stock that sold off to the tune of 60-odd percent over the course of the year and you still think that there's no visibility at this point around the stock performance. It is fairly telling and it does beg the question, what comes next for a lot of other investors that may still be holding on to Netflix at this point? But uh, the broader question, too, is for technology stocks. Could Netflix be the tip of the iceberg? Head to CNBC.com. Our digital team breaks down the 14 stocks you may want to avoid this earnings season following Netflix's big blow up. Well, Tesla, let's take a look at that stock. It surged in extended trade following another record quarter for revenue, profit and operating margins, beating analyst expectations on both the top and bottom lines. The car maker has posted a more than sevenfold jump in EPS since this time last year on the back of nearly $19 billion in revenue 
and $5.5 billion gross profit. When it comes to net income, that hit $3.3 billion, a more than $1 billion jump on the quarter. All this as price hikes helped the firm avoid those headwinds, of course, as we continue to talk about rising costs and supply chain shortages. Speaking on the earnings call, the CEO Elon Musk said he thinks current pricing levels should help the company avoid taking further measures. We hope we don't need to increase the pricing further. Um, the current pricing is anticipating uh, what we think is the probable growth in, in costs. Um, and if, if those growths, if, if that growth in cost does not materialize, we actually may slightly reduce uh, prices. So, um, so we don't currently anticipate making, um, you know, significant price increases. Let's get to David Newhouser, who is the CIO at Livermore Partners. David, welcome back. And you slapped a warning signal on some of these stocks for viewers and for investors early on. We've seen a lot of volatility in uh, the likes of Netflix. Now, typically, we talk about volatility through Tesla. But uh, after the events of the last couple of uh, days, what do you make of the performance of the streaming giant? Yeah, that's. Uh, thanks for having me, Karen. Yeah, I think you know you've seen this drawdown in technology stocks now going on for. Uh, about the past uh, this this year, uh, so you've seen you know, Netflix, you've seen uh, Facebook, you've seen other high growth companies all of a sudden start to uh, take it uh, uh, on the chin, so to speak. And I think at this point in time, like like um, you mentioned, you're just seeing less and less visibility in terms of the growth cycle on some of these companies. And when you see that, and you have a growth multiple ahead of time, and that starts to re-rate you know, it becomes a disaster scenario. So, you know, Netflix is a very large dynamic company, and yet uh, it's been trading at a, at a very lofty multiple for a number of years, uh, given the subscriber growth. But now you've seen for the past two quarters, we've seen that reverse. And uh, we've seen debt build over the past several years too, with the increased new content. So it's, uh, it's a troubling situation. And uh, I have no doubt that, uh, you know, the road ahead's going to be pretty bumpy. Let's call it a widowmaker trade, as we saw some of the early signals yesterday. We're talking about a stock now down more than 60%, a fairly big-name stock that has fairly wide ownership here. We mentioned before about Ackman selling the stake, uh, given the lack of visibility. But what does this tell you about the holdings that some investors have had in big technology names that they may have to shed? And it's not alone as we talk about Netflix here. Meta, for instance, a company that we normally used to call Facebook, has been down 40% so far this year. And we're coming up to an earnings season for that stock, too. Yeah, and you know we've talked about that. I think it was the fourth quarter of last year, Karen, as we described, you know, both uh, you know Ark Innovation, Facebook, and and others that there's the potential for some big drawdowns. And I think you you know that's coming to fruition as we've seen obviously 40-year high inflation rates. We've seen uh, a Fed that's becoming extremely hawkish, and uh, we're seeing the end of the pandemic type of valuation and easy money. So you couple all those things together. And I think you're starting to see some of these past darlings, and the darlings are now turning to dust. And you're seeing that today. Uh, and there are some exceptions, there's some bifurcation. You know, Tesla is a perfect example. But I think the road ahead is still going to be uh, extremely challenged for the technology space overall. And it's something that I think you really have to know uh, the industry, the sector. And you have to look at the fundamentals of the company where a lot of investors, especially retail, just aren't focused on. 
David, so let's just do that for a moment here, because everything has a price and a price where investors can make money. We've seen quite a dramatic drop in Netflix's share price so far, but this is still a business with 222 million subscribers globally. And the CEO, Reed Hastings, has said that he is willing to look at a shift in the business model to a subscriber-based model. Um, So in many ways, there are lots of things to like about Netflix. And basically, the business has got a whole lot cheaper. What is a good entry price, do you think, for the business at this stage, given its current model and how that could be changing? Yeah, you know, I think that's tough to value because it's one thing like you uh, described that, you know, prices come down, right? The share price is down something like 60%. So historically, you know, even, you know, at Livermore, like we're we're bottoms up type investors, right? We're looking for situations that have been blown down and we think is a good investment. But at the end of the day, you have to get a really strong understanding of the business model. And the business that is and was Netflix, as described, is starting to really change. So they're, they're looking at altering a model that I think could alter a ton of different dispersion to the model and therefore earnings. And, and that's a challenge. That's a real challenge for any company, no matter the size. And there's a lot of operating leverage here. So, you know, if they get it right, I think there's a path to kind of claw back. But I think the, the grand scheme of things, if you look at, you know, what's been happening, right, we've seen, you know, 40 year high inflation. So the consumer just now is starting to get pinched. Uh, we've seen massive explosion of competition and content where there's, you know, everybody is obviously vying for eyeballs, right? So eventually, you know, there's there's only so much time in the day and ultimately consumers going to determine where they want to spend that. So I think there's there is a you know, the business model is adjusting and it's also has its share of headwinds. So I think going forward, it's going to be really tough to value uh, where you should be uh, looking at buying the stock today and where the stock could potentially regrow. Well, let me ask you a related question then, because there are a lot of subscriber type businesses that also got caught in the downdraft, like Disney, like Roku, um, even I think people were looking again at Amazon to see how strong its subscriber numbers will remain. But these are not all the same business, and they're not all dependent on a single eyeball-related revenue stream. As you look at this sector, are there some of them that you think will remain must-haves for consumers, for example, like Disney or Amazon, and actually will do better and currently look more attractive because they are being sold down through guilt by association? Yeah, to some of, you know, we we don't specialize in the space. Like I said, I think historically, as you and I have talked, we've always been looking at sectors like technology where we just think they're extremely overvalued and we look for specific companies and and that's good to kind of hedge our book for for livermore but uh you know the way i look at it just looking at some of the the ideas that you just described i mean obviously disney's a a core kind of company that you know has a diversified business model uh and and amazon as well so i mean they have their prime but they also have their all all the different aspects of the business that um is dominant so it's a much different type of business model is what I'm saying. And there's a core competency to it. Uh, Netflix, this is their core competency. So I think it's going to be tough uh, to, to see if there's a path forward to them where they could kind of regain their luster.
We've got so many more questions for you, but unfortunately, a busy earnings day here in Europe this morning. So we'll catch up on another occasion. But thank you so much for joining us again. David Newhouse with us, the CEO at Livermore Partners. We are taking a quick break, but coming up, the French President Emmanuel Macron cements his frontrunner's status after a debate against Marine Le Pen. This just days before the runoff in the country's presidential election. We'll have more from the team on the ground in Paris right after the break. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Uh, welcome back, everybody. You're watching Sport Box. We're just looking out for the uh, Nestle numbers to start coming through here. As they uh, uh, drop, I'll give you them uh, on the wires. Um, quarterly sales then up 5.4% to 22.2 billion Swiss franc, which is uh, uh, pretty much ballpark and positive, I think, in terms of the expectation around the revenue number and pretty much in line with what these businesses tend to deliver over time. The group says organic sales up 7.6%, which doesn't include Russia. First quarter sales, 22.2 billion Swiss franc. The poll expectation, 21.688 billion. So that's running ahead of the expectation. The group confirms its organic growth and margin outlook for 2022 here. The uh, company says, uh, importantly, cost inflation continues to increase sharply and will require further pricing and mitigation actions over the coming period. And we all ultimately know that that either means that the packaging size gets smaller or indeed you end up paying a little bit more for your Nesquik or for your KitKat. The uh, company says uh, pricing uh, 5.2% real internal growth at 2.4%. The um, Business, as you know, um, had got a little bit of heat from the Ukrainian prime minister, particularly Mark Schneider, who uh, was under fire for continuing to uh, sell into Russia about a month ago. But ultimately, uh, Mark Schneider turned around and said, we will suspend the sale of many products into the Russian market. I mentioned KitKat and Nesquik. There were a whole host of those that were ultimately pulled. But Nestle, I think a little bit like Danone that we talked about yesterday, the French business and rival, um, did continue to sell essentials into the Russian market like uh, uh, baby uh, food products and so forth. So the um, the message here from uh, Nestle appears to be then a broadly positive one on the revenue line. But of course, there is the sting in the tail as far as the uh, ongoing issue of inflation is concerned and what that ultimately means for uh, the way your products from this company will continue to be priced. Karen, I don't know if you uh, want to weigh in on the Nestle briefly before we move on and talk about the French election race here. But I think the the um, delivery on the revenue line uh, will be encouraging for the markets and the underlying earnings at 17.5% in constant currency and capital efficiency uh, is expected to rise going forward here. 
Jeff, I think it is unusual to see organic sales levels to this extent high single digits. I mean, we've been talking low single digits from a lot of these companies for years, and which has provoked a lot of activism from shareholders. But the number of 7.6%, if you break it down, you talk about the pricing mix here, uh, just how solid that increase is of 5.2%. I mean, clearly there are input costs that are going up here as well. But that is a very strong uh, signal around the pricing side and the volume not too bad either. And we're talking about 2.4%. So I think uh, very strong headline number here uh, that has crossed. But uh, let's park that conversation and uh, circle around to politics because it is a big weekend ahead in France as the French President Emmanuel Macron has cemented his frontrunner status after a debate against his runoff opponent, the far-right candidate Marine Le Pen. In a combative exchange, Macron challenged Le Pen over her ties to Russia economic plans and policy for the European Union. Le Pen, who came across as more composed than in a duel five years ago, took a more defensive stance but went on to accuse Macron of being a climate change hypocrite. According to the latest polls from Ipsos, the incumbent president is currently in the lead with 56.5% against Marine Le Pen's 43.5%. Macron accused Marine Le Pen of long-standing ties to Russia claiming she also depended on the Kremlin for its support towards her campaign. I say this with great gravity tonight, because for our country this is bad news, because you depend on Russian power, and you depend on Mr Putin. You took out a loan 2015 from a Russian bank, the first Czech Russian bank, close to Russian power. Then you transferred this loan to other actors. All this is totally transparent. It's known, notified and notarized. Then there are implications of loans from that bank during the war in Syria. And so you don't talk to other leaders, you talk to your banker when you talk about Russia. He knows full well I'm an absolutely, totally free woman. You received Putin with great fanfare of Versailles. In 2017, you welcomed Putin at Bregançon, your holiday resort. At the time, you said exactly what I said. You said at the time that Russia should be revived within Europe. You said that Europe should stretch from Lisbon to Vladivostok. So what you're doing today is posturing. It's not worthy. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky has urged Marine Le Pen to reconsider her stance on Russia. In an interview with French television channel BFM-TV, Zelensky said he would be willing to change his relationship with Le Pen if she, quote, understood she was wrong. Zelensky added he had established relations with Emmanuel Macron, saying he would, quote, not want him to lose. Let's get out to Charlotte for more. Charlotte, uh, it was very interesting to see this debate take place last night because it was a bit of a change in tactics for Macron, where he's been trying to appear above the fray, above the politics for the last uh, number of years, appearing presidential. But we saw more of a campaigner last night. Yes, and it was interesting how it wasn't about his record and uh, Marine Le Pen criticizing him on his record. It was almost like a flip uh, situation when he was the one attacking her record and her voting as an MEP and as an MP. So it was an interesting strategy here, try and flip things. And it was a question of there was the form uh, and the content. On the form, we know Emmanuel Macron can come across as sometimes arrogant, if not professorial. And the key was for him to not come across like this. And Marine Le Pen would come uh, look like unprepared. And remember, 2017 debate kept, went very 
very badly for her. It was a question she had five years to prepare. Was she more on top of her facts and figures? So that was the two elements where we've gone, people were going to look at. Uh, and I have to have the perfect guest here to discuss about the content as well on the, the two uh, candidates laying out their program and how they came across. So I have with me here Hippolyte Dalby, senior researcher at the CNRS and professor at the Paris School of Economics. Uh, Hippolyte, thank you so much for joining us this morning. So first, what was your take on the debate last night and was there a clear winner? Uh, clear winner is not clear. Uh, I, I don't know whether there is clear winner. You know, the voter will decide. But I would say that uh, what was amazing is that now this uh, kind of debate is considered as normal. Okay, 20 years ago, uh, when Chirac was facing the father of Marine Le Pen, uh, he refused to have a debate. So, uh, having said that, you know, what was important for Marine Le Pen was to appear as a statewoman, as she presented herself, and uh, to be able, in front of uh, the, uh, the French voter, to, uh, to present a program that was consistent and, so, uh, and, uh, and interesting. Uh, the idea for Macron was to show that it was not the case and uh, she was not, that she was not uh, credible. And so did he manage to do that, or did she come across as credible in your view? Uh, it, it was very tense, and uh, uh, I would say that uh, uh, Macron did present something that was interesting, you know, but maybe a bit too technical, huh? technocratic, as we say here, and uh, whereas uh, Marine Le Pen is able to speak to people, you know, and uh, explain what they feel, especially those who are in need. So when it comes to her solutions there, talking to people, we know that purchasing power has been at the heart of her campaigning, at least before the first round. Uh, looking at the details of the programs of each candidate, which one do you think um, actually address this topic of purchasing power for people? Uh, both of them are uh, trying to address it, of course. Huh? It's uh, subject number one, you know, in France uh, nowadays, because we have uh, a quite important inflation rate, huh? not uh, as important as in the US or as in other countries uh, in Europe, but it's new. So it's really a concern. Um, Marine Le Pen is uh, focusing on uh, tax on gas, uh, mostly, and want to reduce those, uh, those tax. Uh, she addressed a concern that was uh, uh, on the top agenda of the, of the Yellow Vest. You know, those riots uh, two years ago has been, uh, um, w w which appears, you know, against those uh, kind of tax. So she directly addressed what those kind of people want. Whereas uh, Macron has a, a more uh, consistent strategy, uh, trying to reduce uh, basically uh, the tax only for those who are in need. Okay, it's, uh, he, he does not want; he wants to control the price for the moment, uh, but not having those prices uh, reduced too much for everyone. You know, it's uh, it's part of the uh, environmental strategy of the president. Um, can I ask you about the EU? Because we know that in 2017, Marine Le Pen campaigned on the Frexit. It's not the case anymore, and she insisted on that last night. But in effect, Emmanuel Macron, what Emmanuel Macron was saying is that, in effect, a big element of a program would imply a kind of a Frexit without saying the name. Uh, what would be the implications for the French economy and for the EU of a Le Pen presidency? So the international dimension is the weakest uh, part, you know, of uh, Marine Le Pen uh, program, indeed, uh, because she wants to stay in the EU, but ch change the EU, you know, in order to have a, a, um, a Europe of nations, as she said, which is uh, very difficult to uh, to put in place. Uh, and so, uh, so indeed, uh, Macron attacked uh, a lot, you know, on that dimension. And there is a 
Uh, more importantly, I would say, you know, the relationship with Russia, which is crucial uh, given the context and given the war uh, uh, with Ukraine. Um, uh, Marine Le Pen uh, does not want a ban on uh, oil and uh, gas uh, from Russia, uh, which is really a difference, you know, with uh, the position of uh, Emmanuel Macron and which, uh, you know, reveal uh, that uh, she has a, a very uh, she um, forecast a different kind of relationship with uh, Russia. One of the elements where uh, Marine Le Pen attacked Emmanuel Macron last night, she talked about the debt level and how the debt level has exploded on the on the, uh, the Macron presidency. Um, that's one of the topics that the next person elected or re-elected will have to deal with. How much of an issue it is for the French economy, this debt level? So is this, this is an issue, uh, clearly. Uh, so the debt uh, has increased by uh, 20 percent, you know, uh, during uh, during uh, during the COVID time. Uh, I feel this was necessary in order to finance, uh, especially uh, the purchasing power of uh, French people. Uh, nevertheless, uh, this is a concern as soon as interest rates are likely to increase, you know, uh, because the next government will face uh, quite a difficult situation, uh, especially from the social point of view, but with no possibility or less possibility, I would say, to, uh, uh, to uh, run into debt. Um, the way that Marine Le Pen wants to finance a lot of her economic measures and her budget is with anti-immigration policies. Um, you've gone through the numbers uh, of her program. Uh, what, what do you think? Do, do, they, do they make sense? Um, no, I feel not. Uh, clearly not, you know, and that uh, when you look into the program of Marine Le Pen, basically she wants to reduce taxes, uh, increase uh, uh, public spending, uh, and, uh, you know, so uh, at uh, uh, one cost, uh, which is uh, reducing uh, social benefits uh, to, uh, to foreigners. Uh, she um, says that uh, it could save something like uh, 15 uh, billion uh, euro, uh, which is a uh, which is not credible, actually. So, um, so we think that her, um, her program is not financed, actually. Uh, Hippolyte Dalby, senior researcher at the CNRS and professor at the Paris School of Economics, thank you so much for your views on last night's uh, debate. And look, Jeff, it was almost three hours of debate between uh, Macron and Le Pen. 85% of people say they have already made their choice. So there's a question whether the 15% the la left uh, have made the, their choice after the debate last night. Uh, the, what is clear, actually, is that there was ve two very, very different visions for France, for the economy, for France's place in the world. So you could say the content of the debate actually has provided this, that two visions were very, very clear and very, very different. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.